And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 261 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. We made it. We survived another week. Woohoo! How okay. are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. I, uh, the project is not done yet, but all mm, the 95% of my work on the project is now complete, so I am breathing a lot easier this weekend. Human again. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I uh, hit the two-week mark post-second vaccine dose last Monday. Nice. And immediately got a haircut. <laughs> my my first since March 12th, 2020. I was the second client in a row of the day for my uh, hairdresser person who uh, had not had a haircut since early 2020. I think hey. that's going to be a theme. I... I- I got my haircut yesterday as well. Nice. <laughs> and it feels amazing. Right? <laughs> yes. I yeah. uh, went into the comic shop for the first time in over a year this week. Very nice. And uh, have a root canal that I've needed for a while now scheduled for Monday. Not looking forward to that part of it. Let's talk about comics. Let's do that. Action Comics, number 1030. Uh, we have two stories here. The first is the first part of War World Rising. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, with art by Danielle Sampere, colors by Adriano Lucas, and letters by Dave Sharp. We talked last month about the two-part story in which John has come back from the future and is anxious about the fact that there are, like, no more accounts of what Clark has done after, basically, the mission they're on in those two issues. This issue picks up from there. Uh, we, we talked last week about the fact that Tom Taylor is going to be taking over Superman in July and writing about John on Earth. So Action Comics is going to be the Superman book. Or the, the Clark Kent Superman book. Uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson's going to stay there. So this is really setting up what that storyline's going to be, right? Uh, War World Rising, we have a sense from future state of what's maybe on the horizon. We see sort of Mongol's court at War World. We pick up this thread from before future state and death metal where a new Mongol has killed the previous Mongol and taken power so this is following this new mongol got it uh that has still happened the uh a, a new character shows up in the court offering a present the heads of all his children so none of them can kill and usurp his throne and promising the secrets of Warworld itself which i have a theory here uh i'm gonna keep to myself for the moment Okay. We also cut to Superman on Earth being tested by Batman and 
was it Mr. Terrific? No, it was the Atom. Uh, because after this rift from that two-part story, Superman's physical power, his strength is still where it normally would be, but he's slower. So this energy he's been exposed to has definitely had some impact on his power levels. Then we get the highlight of this issue to me. Uh, John and Damien hanging out on a rooftop talking. Aw, nice. Yes. And they're talking about, like, John's anxieties about his father disappearing from the, the records and having to take over as Superman and how he can't do it. And you get this great, this great Damien moment that is so, like, not putting up with bullshit Damien, but also exactly this thing John needs to hear in the moment. That, like, it's one of the best instances, I think, of their friendship since... John went to the future and, well, since John got stuck in that wormhole and aged. aged. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, I really dug that. He also, John also mentioned some of the, like, future conspiracy theories about why Superman disappears. Uh, you know, he, he dies, he gets pulled through a wormhole into another dimension. It kind of mirrors what we heard in, in that future state issue about the the girl who went to smallville to sort of pay tribute to clark kent and right. superman i remember uh and then there's one theory in there that a ship full of kryptonians descended as he started to weaken to take him back home which feels like a very specific beat to uh introduce and not eventually bring up yeah uh i am very curious to see where all of this goes i really dug it and danielle samperi and adriano lucas on art are absolutely incredible they are i think pitch perfect together for a superman book yeah i i can't i can't wait to get to this i'll, I'll probably read it later today yeah uh the backup here is the passenger part two this is the ongoing midnighter story that we saw introduced in future state where uh future midnighter is back on earth while present midnighter is stuck in the future and future midnighter has the uh, computer chip processor brain of Andrzej Trojan, the the supervillain who had basically done a metallo with Apollo's skin in Future State, stuck in his head. So it that's the passenger, right? It's the villain who he's trying to take Got out it. in the present. Uh, and I really dig the back and forth between the two of them here. It's a lot of fun. Uh, this is written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad. Art is by Michael Avon Oming. Colors by Taki Soma. And letters by Dave Sharp. So definitely, definitely digging action comics. Strongly recommend it. Very nice. Let's talk Robin number one now. Oh boy, yeah. This is written this by is... Joshua Williamson. Art and colors are by Gleb Melnikov. And letters are by Troy Pateri. What did you think, Brian? Uh, this is not exactly what I... This was weird. In some ways, it was what I expected in that the, the story that they're setting up was. Mm -hmm. But the way it's being told and kind of the, the the tone they're giving to it is, I don't think, is exactly what I expected. How so? Uh, um, just in the uh, the way that he just completely disappears and no one in the Bat family knows where he's at. Oh, yeah. I I really liked that opening scene sort of setting that up. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I, I thought that was very interesting. Then, you know, then there's the, the fight piece. That was very, on, that was very on brand. Yeah. Like there's nothing, nothing real shocking there. I think probably the, the piece that threw me the most was when, right after that, when he's sitting and he's reading a manga. Uh-huh. And like, it's kind of, like in a kid show, right? It would be the the little inset story that gives you the moral of yeah. what you need to learn, right? And <laughs> like, I just thought that was super clever and unexpected. Yeah, I like I like any moment that humanizes and reminds us Damien is also not the, okay. We are two grown-ass adult men doing a podcast about comic books, so I'm not saying this sure. is inherently childish. <laughs> that is not my point, but no, the right. idea that he is a kid who still would, like, keep a manga in his backpack as he travels and, correct, like, yeah. look for comfort in places, that he is human and that he is still, like, a kid is yep. an important thing, I think, to remind readers. Because it, it's easy to see him, like, be hot-headed, Right. But having moments like that remind us he's hot-headed because he's a kid. And as much as the, the sort of imagined conversation he has in this moment with Alfred uh, talks about wanting to go on the same journey that his father went on. Yes. Like, I think seeing him as still learning, I think even having him be aware of that and accept those parts of himself. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I, I do think th the idea of him doing this is partly in him recognizing I do need more experience and more training and like either consciously or unconsciously kind of following in Bruce's footsteps to do this walkabout, so to speak. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I also love the, the, the imagined Alfred being like, no, I was not okay with him doing this. What are you talking about? Uh, and then we get to um, when he goes to the island, and I was rather shocked to see some of the, uh, a few of the characters that show, a couple of the characters that show up here, and very happy. Okay, let's talk about them. Um, so the three that are on, the, I, 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 like, I think they're going to come back. I think these are going to be, because I don't know any of these characters. Mm-hmm that were on the actual boat with him and the fact that they kind of give them names. And I think they're coming like black Swan is one, but then he gets to the Island and Rose is there. Rose Wilson. Yes. And I, yeah, I loved that. Loved that. Um, and then we get like the, you know, one of the most anime things of all time in the battle Royale that's going to happen, right. To determine who's the best. Who gets to join the the ranks of this whoever, mm -hmm. um, and then we get Flatline, which is absolutely going to be a ongoing character, well, right? And a we, recurring. I want to mention one other character we see on here. Uh, isn't that was he called Raptor, the Nightwing villain from the like early Rebirth run? Yes, yeah, he's here too, or a sidekick in his mask. Yes, because uh, I thought at first it was like. Hawk from Hawk and Dove. Right. Which right. would be confusing having two Hawks. Uh, which, come to think of it, was Raptor in Hawk and Dove as well? He might have been. No, that would think it was, uh, 
Oh, that was Kestrel. I, was, I thought yeah. Raptor was a new character for that night. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, I've only ever read one issue of Hawk and Dove. It was the New 52 number one written and drawn by yes. Rob Liefeld. Yeah. And therefore, I only read one issue. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do like this Flatline character, though. I like the design. I like, yeah. Yes, Flatline. So... One of the things that James Tynan has talked about a good deal in his newsletter, and I mentioned this because, like, one, I know Williamson and Tynan work together a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two, because Tynan is kind of, I think, in a showrunner position for the whole Gotham line at this point, is character design being really important and how, like, it's cool to have legacy and iterative characters, but. I and look at his Batman run so far, introducing new, intentionally designed, visually striking characters is super important to him. And yes. like I can see whether or not it's his influence specifically on Williams Williamson, I'm not trying to say that. Like I can see that same sort of import to Williamson and what he's doing here. The let's get yeah. in some new characters, let's have them be immediately cool looking and give us that visual hook it's especially in the whole bat lineup right yeah i almost get the impression that with uh the batman who laughs and the reception that that character had i i think it led to kind of across the line some very like you said intentional yeah. choices in introducing character like punchline and, right yeah. and yep i mean tynan and snyder have worked together for Basically, most of the time, Snyder has been writing, and the entire time, officially or not, and the entire time Tynan has been, uh, or at least going back to the beginning of his time at DC. But even if you look at, like, something is killing the children, the Erica Mm -hmm. Slaughter design is just immediately, it grabs you. Gotcha. And I think that same kind of sensibility, if you look at punchline if you look at the the redesign work that he and jorge jimenez have put in on uh scarecrow if you look at some of the other clown hunter Hunter, ghost maker yep all of these new characters coming in like it's kind of like that that children's animation rule you need to be able to recognize them in silhouette Mm mm-hmm you immediately get like this sense of who these characters are from how they look. And I think in Batman, especially it's so easy to iterate and to rely on the deep bench of that rogues gallery, that there's not always the impetus to go and create this way. I think doing it there, doing it here in Damien, like Damien needs his own rogues. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I think there's so much reason for it, and I think it's such a smart move, and I'm glad we're getting it issue one. Me too. Well, maybe the shortest run of a comic ever, though. So. <laughs> hey, Dick Grayson, <laughs> eat your heart out. <laughs> there you go. Teen Titans Academy, number two. Uh, written by Tim Sheridan. Pencils by Rafa Sandoval. Inks by Jordi Tarragona. Colors by Alejandro Sanchez, and letters by Rob Lee. So, if issue one of this was the prologue, this is where all the shit starts hitting the fan. This is where I think our big hooks are. Yeah, oh, oh, this 
this kind of jumps in medias res and then uh, it like wow it, it, it like it it punches you and then lets you catch your breath just in time to punch you again right uh so yeah. One, yeah, I, I I saw a bunch of like reviews around the first issue that were like, this kind of moves a little slowly. <laughs> okay, you're introducing an entire cast of characters. I will give you that one. That one moves a little slowly. You cannot levy that at this issue. No. We see what looks like Red X chasing down and attacking uh, a character who we will come to learn is called Bolt. Yes. A new speedster. I love I love this character and her design too. Yes. Um, I do as well. She is in a wheelchair, uh, but has prosthetic blades as as her lower legs, uh, for when she suits up. And she can basically she's a they call her a sprinter speedster. She's yes. good for short short energy bursts, running. And she's like, you know, untouchable. You cannot catch her. She is, for a speedster, fast. Yeah. Uh, so, like, this this sort of tension we immediately get with, like, how does she prepare? How does she navigate and handle this, I think, is an interesting angle. Um, and also just, like, she gets some really cool moments, like, saving Dick Grayson's ass uh, yeah. in, in the course of the issue. But it almost feels like a horror movie at the first. Her trying to get to her locker to grab her blades. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a great hook. Uh, yeah, then we have something I was not expecting. Uh, Corey and Dick? Yeah. Yeah, apparently there's a bit of a triangle, huh? Yeah. I was not, oh. I was not anticipating, like, there was a part of my brain going, okay, well, if he and Corey are running a school together... And he and Barbara are working together in Nightwing. Like, I guess he and Corey are over? I guess not. Nope. <laughs> no, if anything, um, he's more with Corey, at least in right now, than he is with Barbara? Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe Nightwing I, I just very... needs to visit Krakoa and go visit the <laughs> Summer's house and... Is that is that a new is that a new bat law? <laughs> Make more baddies, <laughs> Make more bats. I don't know. Um, I, you know what? I feel like someone would actually need to have an intervention with Bruce if he keeps making more more robins. Um, make, make more robins. Oh my god! I was I was more alluding to uh, uh, perhaps the solution for Nightwing and friends. Is the same sort of ethical non-monogamy oh, as the Summers as the Summers House? Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Which there's certainly some uh, characterizations of Corey that would be perfectly fine with it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Do not see yeah. Barbara actually being. No. No, I don't see that. But uh, so I, I get the feeling that there's something going on with uh with with Stitch as well. Yeah. Stitch is, it's yeah. So on on the surface they do not like their roommate Matt because Matt is and by all accounts we see in this issue insufferable yeah. and also always yes. there. Yes. Always in the room. Um there easily I think could be more up with them. Um yeah. But it could also be at surface. Like, I like that that's ambiguous. Okay. And then we have what is probably my favorite page of the book. The Dick and Cyborg conversation? Cyborg. Yeah. So, 
So it's literally, it's six panels uh, of Nightwing and Cyborg having a conversation in front of the entrance to this room where Beast Boy is in the background changing into different animals and fighting all of the students. And what class is this? Homek. <laughs> yeah. Which Cyborg is, is the teacher of because Beast Boy was in charge of signing, assigning the, uh, the teaching schedule and he thought it would be funny. Yes. But they're having that conversation. I guess it's actually two pages, right? Yeah. Um, and then so they finish, they finish their conversation, and he's like, mm, "I think I need to get in there." Uh, and he and he walks in, and his advice to all the students is, "Aim between his legs. It always works, no matter what form he takes." I feel like we should point out that in the course of the the Starfire and. Cyborg uh, conversations. Dick is concerned about the red X mask that has shown up yes, and then yes. subsequently disappeared again. Correct. So he is on his way to the control room to check out where the mask might be, and whom does he find in the control uh, well, room? Well he finds he finds the mask on, you know, on someone who's wearing the whole outfit and is, you know, actually red X, yeah. And like stealing information from their computers. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, this is this this possibly to me summarizes the uh, the tone and the and what's going to be going forward in this book. And it is he finds he finds Red X right in the control room and goes after Red X and the, you know so this chase begins. Uh, and so he goes to the stairwell and being Nightwing He's like, okay, I got it. And he grabs the fire hose mm -hmm. and he's going to use that to jump down, right? And control his fall to, to catch Red X. And he jumps and right, that's right when Donna walks in and walks into the stairwell and goes, that hose is too long. You're going to hit the... <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. Bolt comes to the and rescue. The Bolt catches him, yes. <laughs> Love Bolt. But I, I get the feeling like that kind of thing is going to be... Yeah. The whole thing, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's like, I think any any story set, I mean, okay. I always have that voice of, of Aaron Sorkin, right, in my head going, there is no there is no difference between comedy and drama, you just shift between the Correct. two for contrast. Yes, exactly. But I think in a story like this, in a, in a school environment, you have to have the serious yeah. moments and the lighter moments, and you have to mix and match those actively. It's it, it's a teen school environment. Yeah. If there's not hijinks and and humor, then you're you're definitely not doing it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also we we learn that there is a mysterious benefactor behind Bolt's arrival at the school. Yeah, did you did you figure did you guess who that was? Oh yeah. I mean oh, yeah. there was really no question for me. Like I had it during the phone call. Right. Yeah. Um certainly when she is deleting the contact AW from her phone. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh and if that doesn't give you away, then Task Force X shows up. Yeah. Um I mean I already knew that they were gonna be like both Suicide Squad and covers for issues of this have have shown that Task Force X was going to be showing up here. Like just knowing that that immediately clicked as oh okay she's a plant by Amanda Waller. Well, and also the there's a comment earlier about uh about one of the characters 
that he's like, who? Yeah, who? It, he's kind of worries me a little bit. Who does it remind you of? And like, oh yeah, Connor. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> we know who's gonna show up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It it does it does make me laugh a little bit that the titles for all of these, mm-hmm. right? The title for this one was X Factor, and the title for the next one is Task Force X. Right. Yeah. So we're getting like these are like the most Marvel mutant titles. <laughs> X gonna give <laughs> it to time. you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I am thoroughly enjoying this though. Me I, too. I, I, I very much like this. I feel like for both of us, this was one of our most anticipated Infinite Frontier yeah, books, and it has definitely not disappointed. It has not. Speaking of books that do not disappoint, crossover number six. Oh boy! Written uh... by Donnie Cates, art by Jeff Shaw, colors by D. Kniff, and letters and design by John J. Hill. So, um, I don't know that there's a way to talk about this issue without spoiling it. I think there's a couple of things we can talk about, okay. right? And that is, um, one of the things I think was very interesting is, uh, isn't this the issue where we get a feeling for, or maybe that was the very end of last, it was the very end of last issue, where we had that, we get the existence of this program called Amalgam. Right? Yeah, that was that was last issue. Okay, all right. But here we see them actually make it into the world of the comic book. Yeah, they, they cross into the dome. Yes. And, uh, boy howdy, there are some cameos in this issue. Aren't there, though? So I, one of the things I love is there are characters that are drawn in the background that are very, very obviously supposed to be... The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, well, completely uh, in silhouette. For example. Completely for, in uh, silhouette. Right. Yeah, that's an example. There's very, like, without question, there's a Starman in yeah. here. And right? we've seen that kind of thing throughout the series we already. We have. What I love is very clearly this being an image book. Right. Uh huh. He has gotten permission to actually use image characters. Yes. Because we see, like, very much what uh what is uh um uh Scotty's uh. You're talking about Gert. I hate fairy. Yeah. Yeah. I hate fairyland, or I hate fairyland. If you buy the variants, fuck fairyland. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Uh, by name. We see uh, Colonel Weird yep. from Black Hammer, which she calls out, aren't you Colonel Weird from Black Hammer? <laughs> like, I love that this is, like, just... Well, and I want to I wanna talk about, too, and Colonel Weird is a great place to bring it up, because I think he's very intentional in this. So yeah. this first arc is called Kids Love Chains, right? Yes. For this entire arc, so far... Everyone has basically been beholden to these disembodied narrative boxes, caption boxes. Right. Which someone asked on Twitter to Donny Kate, who is who is supposed to be this voice? Do you know what his answer was? You? Me. <laughs> yeah. It's his voice. Yeah. Um so kids love chains. On the second page of this, they throw off the caption boxes and stop listening to them and we see them yes. fade out and not show yeah, up anymore. The the caption boxes are literally saying, Listen to me, damn it, I'm in control. I'm in control. 
and like they fade out. So like they have thrown off their chains here. Yeah. And then Colonel Weird shows up and he's like, What are you doing here? This isn't how the story goes. <laughs> yep. So like even Colonel Weird is like in on it with, with Donnie Cates, I guess. Well, and it really makes me wonder if this is Donnie's way of showing us that yes, you can create these characters and you know plan the story and know what you want to do, but once you actually get into it and start writing the stories and the books, you it doesn't always go where you plan for it. Oh yeah, like, you can lose control for right? sure. There is yeah. also, and I don't well. I want to save this to talk about at the end so we can call a hard spoiler tag on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But there is one other way that Ellie throws off some chains in this issue. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, just while we're being thematic and all. Uh, yeah. And then they find themselves in a building full of uh, undead zombies. Yeah. Um, and maybe a certain, maybe a certain God uh, it sees them from around the corner of a building while lighting a cigarette. Yep. And then uh, they get saved by Hit Girl. I love it. It's beautiful. It's so, so bonkers and bananas. And yes, I am with you. I adore it. Um, yeah, I, I, I like everything about what... Well, and like seeing all of these characters, especially now by name and all of this, it, I get the whole, the whole Donny Cates, you know, uh, uh, preview tagline of you know it's gonna be the biggest crossover that's ever existed yeah right yeah it's like okay i get it now uh so good all right uh yeah i i, I think i think we have all spoilers okay right. spoilers big time like don't listen if you don't want to know what's gonna happen but yeah she threw she ellie throws off some other chains by um so I want to say what I love about this moment real quick before we say what it is. I know we're in spoilers, but I want to talk about the way this is built before we say it. Mm -hmm. There is at least one big hint that this is the case. I mean, other than just kind of the general mysteriousness with which she talks about her parents in the dome in the first five Mm -hmm. issues, the fact that she was able to do human makeup with no practice on a comic book character on the fly in high stress yes was a super clear signal that this was going to be the case i thought i i I don't disagree i I, also i don't think i'd call it predictable but this is definitely seated and earned yeah the other thing right before this happens that i think is a big clue is when she gets when they get to this hotel room right um she's wearing her invincible t-shirt uh-huh with Invincible on it, right? And it's got all of these blood spots on it that very, very much look start to look kind of like, oh, maybe it's a one of the comic book games. It just just something about the aesthetic of yeah. it made me made me pause for half a second. I think I went right over it after that, but like I, I actually saw that with when she was laying on the bed. I was like, oh wow, that looked and then because it's also on her face, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then she goes into the bathroom to wash that off and also washes off her makeup. And we find out that she's from the world of superheroes. Yep. She's not from Denver. No. Um, I would also say that maybe the fact that Valifax works for her is a hint. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would agree with that as well. Uh, yeah. Definitely an in retrospect. Uh huh. But yeah, um, I cannot wait for more of this. I, I, I said it after number one, and it holds true. This is the most me shit that Donny Cates has ever written. I, I, you know what? I, I totally get you there. God, I yeah. love this. I, yeah. I, I, that, that, that's the end. I just love. Yes, it. agreed. Moving on, then. Brian has spoken. <laughs> oh, by the way, no, you spoke. We move on. Go no, ahead. Go no, no, ahead. wait, wait. The very, very end, the very last of this gives us the uh, the teaser for issue seven. Uh huh. Which is what the picture that I shared with you. Yeah. So I already knew this was going to be a thing. I did not realize you did not know. Um, way back at the beginning of issue two, there's this newsreel about like all these comic book creators have gone missing and have gone missing. Yeah. One of the ones they listed was Chip Zdarsky. Mm-hmm. Issue seven is about the missing Chip Zdarsky, written by Chip Zdarsky, <laughs> yep. uh, with Phil Hester on ink or on pencils, Andy Parks on inks, D. Kniff still on colors, and John J. Hill on design and letters still. So we yep. get a guest creative team for an issue. Uh, Kate's has made very clear that no, Chip is not taking over his book full time. <laughs> Yes, no, it is. It's very much an issue, yeah. and I gotta say, it's the aesthetic of this. So it's it's a picture of somebody walking down a, a road in like a snowstorm, right? And on a telephone pole, very, very much kind of up front in the face of the frame, is a telephone pole with a missing yeah. person's poster. I would with a red blood hand. It is the most dead of winter looking thing. Like, like it looks like it came straight out of the game, Dead of Winter. You pointed out via text message a detail from this missing person poster. <laughs> Age 45. Very white. Height <laughs> 510, weight 170. Yeah. Very Chip white. Zdarsky, a.k.a. Steve Murray. <laughs> oh, this is going to be some good, good stuff. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. All right. Helm Greycastle, number one. Written by Henry Barajas, art by Ramet M. Hondako, colors by Brian Valenza, who co-created this with Henry Barajas, and letters by Gabriella Downey. Uh, there's also an RPG in the back of this, written by Tristan J. Tarwater, with art by Jen Vaughn. So I, I, I did not, I could, just because I was trying to get through books, I did not read the, the, uh, the back, the issue, the, the RPG, yeah. In the back, the I, RPG. I, I didn't go through it in depth. I, my comic shop did not get its books this week until late day Friday, so I was reading everything yesterday. I did skim through it, um, and I really like like there are stat blocks for monsters, like uh-huh. axolotl themed monsters and things like that. Um, I I actually do really look forward to sitting down and going through it because I think there are some cool things in there. Me too. Me too. My question is: is this is this one a whole module or is this part of it? And it's going to be like if you have all the issues, you know, like the first six issues, the first arc or whatever. That's your whole module. Um, you know what I'm asking. You know, what I'm I know what you're wondering. I will say now it's five E compatible, which is not the answer to the question. But while you Correct. set up what the book is about, I will answer. I will look and answer your question. Okay, so, <laughs> funny you should say that because uh, this is a this book does a very interesting thing in the storytelling. 
in that it does not walk you through uh, every part of the story like a lot of books would. Um, you get uh, a couple of pages, like we get, we get the you know the first two pages are them fighting, and we get kind of introductions to them while they're fighting, right? And then we switch scenes and we kind of see why they were fighting. And then, like, it, it almost feels like every four or five pages, there are what would in a regular comic book be a couple of pages missing. Yeah, I think I think maybe the way I'd characterize it is we get a layer of information and introduction. Mm-hmm. And then we take a step back and we kind of zoom out and see another layer. And we do that sort of sequentially three or four times. And then the last few pages of the book bring all of those threads together. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. It, yeah, it's almost it's almost like it's just brushing the, the almost like highlights, right? Yeah. Like, almost like a recap reel. Like we meet our adventurers and we mm-hmm. see them in a fight. We learn that they're not in a traditional, like, because we get a very traditional looking snowy setting with reanimated skeletons. Yeah. Um, then we sort of get the next layer as so we pull back and we are, in fact, in, uh, in a, a fantasy version of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And we learn that, okay, one of their party members has been injured and they were trying to get something to heal him. And, okay, there's actually a rift between the group because some people don't trust that party member anymore. And everyone kind of is talking about going their own way. Then we cut to the court of Montezuma III and all of these all of these gods sitting around, hanging with him, talking through things. Uh, and we see, like, a couple more connections there. Then we get we get the team heading to go save this baby dragon uh that they had kind of been arguing about saving in in the last set of pages where we had seen them they get surrounded we visit the court again and learn more about the court and its its denizens and then we sort of see a couple of members of the court show up find the team and realize they all need to work together like it's very it's very structured i think in that way it it exactly yeah, yeah. um and then can I say just how much there's a, a couple of these characters that I absolutely already love? Yeah. Yeah, like Vola. Vola is excellent. Yes. She is what would have to be almost described as like a half-orc uh, warrior, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. She's beautiful. And then Oscar Frostbeard, who is so unlike what you would expect from a dwarf. Right. Just in attitude and, and everything else. Yeah, just... Yeah. Um, I just... I, my my favorite character description in here? Mm-hmm. Fang. Bad ideas, boy. Bad ideas, boy. Yes. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, no, this is, this is going to be very, very interesting. Okay. And then, as if all that's not enough, the art in this is... I was about to say we have to talk about the art. Yeah, we do because it is a almost painted look, but not quite. Yeah, it is. Remind you know who it reminds me a little bit of in in the 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 way the textures are done a little bit of Stepan Shayek. Okay, that's not where I was about to go. Uh, maybe somewhere. But, but do you see what I'm saying? It, I I definitely do. I was thinking um, 
if you think of like Jerome Pena and Dean White's work in yeah. Seven to Eternity, yes, I think aesthetically it's got a similar vibe to that. Very, yeah, that I very, very much see, and it's that that same thing where it's not, it, it's almost the colors look, it almost looks like painted, but mm-hmm. it's not quite right. Yet. I said aesthetically, stylistically, aesthetically, it's very different, and that's by design. Yeah, okay. Aesthetically, it is inspired by Mexican mythology, Aztec mythology. That, that is a that is a better description. But yes, regardless, I I like it a lot. I do too. Uh, we got the political intrigue going on. Like, like there's just so much that's just kind of, because of that kind of that kind of highlighting, skipping across the yeah the the point. We we really get a lot of books just presented and left there for for being picked up in the future. Yes, yeah. So to answer your question, mm-hmm. the D&D module in the back okay. is one complete arc of a larger campaign. Okay. So it ends with a, you get back to town and, and then it'll yeah. keep going, I imagine, across the next three issues. Very cool. I like. I do too. I like very much. Shadecraft number two. Written by Joe Henderson, art by Lee Garbutt, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by Simon Boland. We get another layer in this story as well. Uh, Even if we don't know exactly what the implications of it are, we meet a psychiatrist. Or counselor. Maybe just counselor. We don't know. Someone shady. Shady, but maybe (laughs) here to help. (laughs) I didn't even mean to. It just happens sometimes. Um... Yeah, God, as as much as I loved the first book, this one just it didn't disappoint, and it's not as bombastic and and as grabbing as the first book. I think no, the first issue. this definitely like you get your action piece and your weirdness up front, and this yeah. pulls back and reminds you, okay, these are kids in school dealing with trauma. You don't have a lot of the, like, inky, crazy, mystical shadow pages until the very end. Right. Instead, you get something more, like, day-to-day, more ordinary. And I like layering the ordinary in the fantastic. Exactly. That's where I was going. I I like that it just let us see where the story was developing. Yeah. Uh, The brother-sister dynamic gets a real spotlight here as... As they go to school, he is trapped as her shadow. The the shadow in the spotlight, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, when he can, he'll do anything to just get her goat. But the moment anyone starts to fuck with her, he is at her defense. Yep. Like, it is very siblings. I love this dynamic. And don't get me wrong, especially after she leaves the counselor's office, Mm -hmm. we start getting into some more of these just beautiful shadow playing with the light pages. Yeah. Her sitting on, just sitting on that wall Mm -hmm. right there with, with the shadow there. And like, that's just gorgeous. Yeah. I I love, I love those kinds of pages. Um, and her brother is clearly, clearly very much a jokester. Mm -hmm. Um, but then at, kind of towards the end he's like okay you how hard has it been for you guys with me like this uh take me home i need to see yeah and he sees like what they've had to live with with him being in a coma like the mom has to watch him every day yeah and like it just 
yeah, it really, I think, hits home with him. And then, uh, then we kind of get what is obviously the, uh, the resolution of this particular issue. Right. Which yeah. is definitely setting up more, because clearly there are other people who know what is going on. And whether they yeah. are here for good or nefarious reasons, we have no clue. Got no idea. But, uh, I, but then we get that very last page is another one of those big, huge, inky, shadowy. Mm-hmm masterpiece pages yeah i love it me too modok head games number four the last chapter written by jordan bloom and Patton oswalt art is by scott hepburn colors are by carlos lopez and letters are by travis lanham we get a uh, family reunion huh we do we do um there's a couple of things that happen here that i really really like um for the most part, it is 100% a wrap-up to a miniseries that is a underused character in, you know, one of the big two universes. Right? Yeah. And it's very much as expected. Did... Like, it's just, it had that feeling of this is exactly how you wrap up a miniseries that involves somebody like Modoc. Right? Did you read the uh, letter at the end of this? I did, and I'm going to get to cool. that, right? Um. But one of the things it does r- right at the very, very end is give us a little bit of a twist on how some of the the resources that were that were provided to Modoc get used mm-hmm. to give us a whole new uh, what, what am I trying to say a a, a side to Modoc that could be used in the future a whole new. Uh, side of a personality. Yeah, right? a new facet. Of the character. A new f- That's the word I was looking for, thank you. A new facet to be used, yes. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, And then I turned the page and read the back matter, and I'm so glad I, it's so weird how sometimes you, we choose to read the back matter and sometimes we don't. I mean, for both of us, I, I think when I have the time, I do, but sometimes, it, for whatever reason, it just strikes me. Yeah, I think and... I think for me, it usually is one of a couple of things. If it's a first or last issue, uh-huh. I'm probably more likely to. That's fair. And then also, just if the issue does something different than I will, part of it, I think, is is on an editorial side. Like, how do they present that? Is it an entire page? like this right. was or is it a little longer section in a letters column if it's a little longer right. longer section in a letters column i'm probably a little less likely to read it That's fair. but if it's yeah. a whole page i assume there's there's a reason for giving it that extra it. space yeah uh but i'm so glad i did because it's jordan bloom and Pat oswalt talking about uh, I, I love oh, the starts with why Modoc. Right? I love their comparison here because it sounds bananas and is also perfect. I I love this. It says, uh, uh, you see, Modoc is a lot like Batman. The statement that's probably never been uttered by a single <laughs> human being on the planet, but hear us out. Yeah, <laughs> like that caught me. Right. That's what I think. That's what caught me and, and got me to actually continue reading here. But it's like this statement is, uh, uh, you know, Batman can be fun, a fun, campy Adam West. Batman can be a gritty Frank Miller. Batman can be an Oscar-nominated prestige film, or it can be a kid-friendly Saturday morning cartoon. And like that, Modok can be all of these different kinds of characters. He can be a ruthless killing machine that is about to end the world that the Avengers have to deal with. 
or he can be the character that was in Gwenpool. He can be uh, a a regretful egomaniac madly in love with Maria Hill who will try to save the world to win her heart, as in my favorite run of Secret Avengers. Yes. All right, so I'll be right back. Okay. All right. Welcome back. Thank you. Because I now get to do for Alex something that he has done to me in the past, and I never get to do, and I can't wait. Are you going to try to backlog me? No. No, no. Are you going to try to present me with news? I have something for you, Alex. Oh? It is, it's your Christmas gift, and because of COVID and other reasons, did not come through, but now is absolutely the perfect time that I have to virtually give it to you, <laughs> and then at some point, it. but you have to know what it is right now. Okay. It is a giant MODOK Tiki mug. That is incredible. Oh my god, thank you so much. <laughs> it is literally, I mean, this thing is huge, and it is... It is a giant MODOK figure that is a tiki mug, and it is beautiful. Mental organism designed only for Kahlua. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love it. I love it so much. I knew I knew you would love this. <laughs> ah, thank you. You are most welcome, sir. <laughs> or, so see, he can be a ruthless killing machine. He can be a... A humorous side character like in Gwynpool, or he can be a tiki mug. <laughs> he can hold a delightful frosty beverage. Exactly. Modoc can be all of these things. Modoc contains multitudes. How uh how excited are you for this TV show now, by the way? Oh, oh, Mal cannot wait. I've probably asked this before. Have you seen any of the trailers? I have not, and I'm well, I don't know why. I kind of purposely stayed away. I probably I probably should rethink that and just well, watch it. Well, the <laughs> only reason I ask is because I did not realize until I saw one of the trailers for the first time. Mm-hmm. When they said animated series, I assumed what you typically picture in an animated series, a cartoon. It's right. stop motion. It looks absolutely incredible. That's that's amazing. Like I cannot wait the 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 page in the back of the book said it was out March 21st. I think it must have been delayed because I don't believe it's out yet. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't believe it is. But I cannot wait for this show. Ten episodes. Uh, let's, You know what? I'm going to do, do a Google. Uh, May 21st. So we are just a couple, three weeks away. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm looking at a thumbnail for a preview. And you're right. It looks, you know what it looks like? It looks like those old, um, those old, like, like Christmas stop motion. Yeah. The, uh, the Frosty and the Rudolph yeah. and the, yeah. Oh my God. That's brilliant. I can't wait. Yeah. It's, or like, or like, uh, Robot Chicken, right? The, the, yeah. the action figures. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh. it's, it's a very, like, high quality stop motion. I, sure, sure. Oh, I can't wait. Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 25. This is written by Saladin Ahmed. Art is by Carmen Carnero. Colors by David Curiel. And letters by Corey Pettit. I wish you were also reading this book because it does (laughs) so many cool things. Uh, This is the beginning of Miles Morales' clone saga. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, There was an earlier issue where Miles was kidnapped by this, this villain called The Assessor. 
and the assessor like runs experiments on him and eventually he gets away but like what was he doing why like it was very sort of body horror trauma and it was something Miles had to deal with and now it's back in that there are people dressed as Miles with some of the same powers and some other powers that Miles doesn't have committing crimes and Miles comes home to see his parents they're like oh my god what have you been doing it's like what do you mean I was out with a friend they're saying on the news that you've been robbing banks and killing people. And like, that's how he finds out. So he goes to, like, Genki helps him figure out where, where this doppelganger is going to hit next. And he goes to, to try to head him off. And he's already been there. So everyone's terrified of him. Peter shows up in costume because he knows, okay, this can't be Miles. It's got to be someone else. But because everyone sees Miles and is immediately terrified, Peter assumes that Miles is the impersonator. And, like, Miles has to hold off Peter while explaining, no, no, it's me. Like, that shitty Christmas card you gave me late last year, I still have. Uh. Um, <laughs> like, just, it's so light. I mean, Saladin Ahmed's whole run is this way. It's why he's great at this and did a great job with Miss Marvel. It's so grounded in these very, like, human teenage responses. There's a B-plot in this that Genki has gotten together with Miles' ex. They didn't mean to. It just kind of happened, like it does with teenagers. Mm -hmm. Like, Genki tells Miles. He's come over to tell him this, not knowing what's going on with these clones. And, like, Miles' immediate response is anger, but it's because he's so terrified about this other thing and angry about it. And, like, as soon as he gets away from Genki, he's like, oh, my God, I, I grabbed him. I laid hands on him. This is, why would I do that? I'm just... It's so, so rich in character and so grounded in just real emotional responses to things. I wish everyone reading comics were reading this book because it's incredible. Mm -hmm. If you, if you picked up the, the latest games, the Peter Parker Spider-Man or Miles Morales Spider-Man games, like absolutely give this read. The continuity is different, but like it's the same Miles and it's so, so good. Also, uh, Carmen Carnero and David Curiel, we've talked about them on other books. Carnero was on the earlier issues of Kelly Thompson's Miss Marvel run. And mm -hmm. the art here is just incredible. I love Carnero and Curiel. Very nice. All right. Ready to talk about some mutants? Let's do the mutant thing. Cable number 10. Written by Jerry Duggan. Art by Phil Noto. Letters by Joe Sabino. And design by Tom Moeller. Continues to be one of my favorite mutant books. Yes. I <laughs> Talk about, like, good, dumb teenager logic. Yeah. Cable, like, you get these flashes of, like, okay, old man Cable would absolutely do this. Right. And here's the dumb teenage version of that. Cable is going to break into <laughs> Professor X's chamber to steal uh uh to steal Cerebro. Cerebro, yeah. So that he can track down Strife. And Emma's like, yo, what up, Cable? Um why why are you doing something this dumb? You're you're better than this. You don't need to go back to the future. And also, uh your dad is like in charge of our military force and is one of the best at what he does? Why aren't you talking to him about this? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my God. 
Yeah. And then and then 100% teenage fashion right after that is thanks Emma. Uh is Esme mad about the other day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course she's mad. Yeah. Yes, you poor sweet boy. <laughs> I love it. I just love it. And Phil note, man, I'm telling you what, I, I can't I can't conceive of a more perfect artist for this book. No, right it's it's beautiful. It's so uh good. then we get the the rest of the issue essentially is Cable and Scott. And it's that yep. great kind of father son thing of <sighs> each of them wants something else and wants something else from the other. Scott's trying to encourage Cable to run for the new X-Men roster. And yep. Cable is convinced that he needs to go to the future because if he doesn't go head off this fight where he can, it's hypocritical of him to have sent young Scott and the other original five back to the past. Right. Like, he feels this duty and this responsibility and, like, he's got to bear the whole world by himself. And while they're having this conversation, they go to London to a pub to bring back to uh Eric Cohen's who have had a bit too much um fun. Yeah. And have basically started bar fights and beat up this whole bar. Yes. I, I love that the one cable fights is like impressed by him. Like you get just that little bit of flirtation there too. Uh-huh. Like, oh uh-huh. we're gonna we're gonna get a uh well, I guess it would be a hexagon at this point, because you've got Cable, <laughs> four of the five cuckoos, and then now this character. So not a triangle as much as a hexagon. To be fair, he is a Summers, though, so, you know. That's true. That's very true. Uh, so good. I, the other one that I love is, so uh, th- there's these two that are fighting, and the one that's fighting Scott is like this big, you know, super powerful, you know, powerhouse character and you know they punch scott outside we find out that you know he lets her do that yeah so that they are removed from the rest of the people that were inside right and he's like he's like keeps telling her just stop i i don't want to fight to that and she's like her whole thing is she knows that she can beat him right Mm -hmm. she's like well we'll see what happens when i do and she like picks this motorcycle and scott's like all right then, and he just unloads on. Her. <laughs> you, just, you just see this, this. You see it hitting her face, and then there's a panel of it reflecting up what's clearly off of her face, up just a, a beam of light up into the sky, and then it just shows the 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 sign of the tavern with her through the wall <laughs> over it, passed out. <laughs> it's very good. With the legs hanging out, it's it's very well yeah. done. I, that was very good. I also like we uh, get a data page at the end that's sort of a tease about like the leftover weapons caches and ship that old man cable left behind. Yep. So we've already we've already seen the the sort of Deadpool habeas corpus protocols. Right. Uh, but like the idea that we're gonna get more of more of those contingency plans going forward i'm very inter- very interested in and excited to see and very specifically one of these is run by an ai system called bell uh-huh who it says is aware of kid cable and is watching to see what happens yeah 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. And then the last two pages is Old Man Cable in the future. Right. Right. And very specifically, the 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 big reveal in this piece is he reaches into a bag and pulls out Galador. Yeah, I think, I feel like there's definitely a, a sort of tease that we've, because we've seen Old Man Cable in at least one other issue. Uh-huh. And I think we were sort of meant to assume, okay, he's coming back. But this very much feels to me now like, okay, no, Kid Cable gets there the long way around. I think maybe so, yeah. New Mutants number 17. Written by Vita Ayala, art by Rod Reese, letters by Travis Lanham, and designed by Tom Muller. This is, what, our third issue of Vita Ayala's run? I think so. And there are some pieces coming together in ways that I did not expect yet and that are surprising to me. I also think this may be the one of the series that is setting stuff up that's going to be kind of like how we had you know the teases that led up to you know the ten of swords right right? and like we saw excalibur which maybe early on felt like it was sort of doing its own thing to the side suddenly become central yeah, and we we kind of see we saw some other things leading up to what we ha- now have as Way of X, right? And Reign of X coming, yep. right? I get the feeling this could be a storyline that is leading to a setup. Also, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, and we we got remember at the end of of Ten of Swords, we got that sort of Reign of X teaser. I think we're technically in Reign of X. I think you're um, right, yeah. I say this because like the way they've been collecting X Men books, you can get the the trade paperbacks that are everything in reading order, and they just released Dawn of X Volume Fifteen, which is the last one before Ten of Swords, which is already out. Right. I think after that we start getting Reign of X Volume One in trade paperback. Yes. I believe that is correct. Just if that's how you're reading this, by the way, I believe that's the plan. Um, but yeah, we got that teaser image at the end of Ten of Swords, and one of the, like, new figures we saw in it was, uh, the Shadow King. Yes. So, I feel like you're absolutely right that this is going to be a big piece moving forward. Yeah, he he is definitely doing his own thing. The whole Merlin and Lady Roma thing Mm -hmm. is super, super interesting. Yeah, the idea that anyone owes Lady Roma a favor is a little terrifying. A little bit, yeah. Um, And I love, oh, and we did get one answer that I was very, very relieved to see. Yeah. And that is that Jonathan is alive and well on Krakow. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Vita Ayala, for giving us this peace of mind. (laughs) Yes. I actually messaged Jin about that when I hit that panel. Um, So how do you feel about this Wolfsbane Shadow King scene? (sighs) From a reader standpoint, I think it's super awesome. Because I think it's going to present some uh, some very interesting story. Mm -hmm. As somebody who, you know, grew up with New Mutants and the original... We'll spend, I, I'm super, super sad for where I think this is going to take Rainy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the odds that he's on the level? Like, there, there's zero chance, right? Here's the, I, I'll, I'll be honest, but there, there's a very small part of me, like a 2 to 5% part of me, that says, but yeah, what a great twist it would be for him to actually be on the level. Yeah. And this to be something else, right? 
Like, I can't let myself believe that that's the case. I know, I know. But that, it's, it's that same voice in my head that when I finished Final Fantasy VII Remake was like, spoilers for that game, maybe, maybe, jump forward 15 seconds. But what if Aerith lives this time? Mm-hmm. Like, is it probable? No. Does it open the door in a way where I can't rule it out? Actually, yeah. Yeah, right. Yes. I, I uh very excited for this book. I, God, all the X books. They're all so good. Yeah. You might say they're excellent. Huh. Uh I love our our Danny and uh Sean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh team up in Otherworld. Otherworld? Yes, Otherworld. Yes, Otherworld. Yeah. There are like three different books that I am reading right now that all take place in Otherworld, and I recognize it's just part of Arthurian legend. But I always right. have this moment of that's the right thing, right? I'm not this isn't this isn't one of those mystical planes or sometimes two different mystical planes things. The way I do with no. people, right? No. But then we, we, we find we, at the very last piece of this we get a big shocker from uh from Jean about What's going on with the White Rabbit? Yeah. Well, I also want to talk about, before we get there, I want to talk about they find the uh, mutant who they've kind of tracked down. Oh, yes. That's and true. I really love this scene where... I do too. He's do like, too. look, I, I have not internalized this immortality thing. I'm used to kind of living on my own in this sort of foraging, fending for myself way. I don't have this strong family connection. The idea of living in this place where I could die isn't terrifying to me because that's been my life. And, like, it's not that I don't respect living on the island or what we have there. It's just that I'm not settled there. Right. I would rather live in this place where there's risk and people don't look at me like a freak, but I can live just like a person. Yep. It reminds me. I don't, I, I don't, because I, he... What I, it seems like it's kind of in the subtext what he's saying is, yes, I understand that I can live on Krakoa and would be accepted there and all of this, but being a Krakoan has its own uh, uh, things that come with it. Right. Right? Well, and it's, and it's, it's very much the Nightcrawler thing, right? It's the, yeah. yes, we have this sort of idyllic life, but... What if the things we have valued about life, what if the things that have given our life meaning, we can't find here? Right. Like, I would love to see this character and Nightcrawler get some time together in this book or Way of X or anywhere. Well, essentially what he's saying is, I don't have to be Krakoan, I can just be me. Yeah. Nobody gives me a second look unless I wave them over, then they come over. Right, yeah. And so they're like, well okay but he's like but i but thank you for coming to find me and showing concern about me i loved that yeah like he wasn't mad about it like it was just like one of the most healthy wonderful things ever yeah <laughs> yes and like he agrees i'll check in regularly i'll check in with yeah. you guys it's this great like okay cool we look forward to hearing about your adventures it's like that's their side of it and it's and so he said, he said, I've kind of taken it on myself to map Otherworld, because I think that would be cool and useful. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> honestly, Brian, honestly, I want that comic. I know, right? <laughs> like, 
could this be like the most healthy mutant that's ever lived? <laughs> Mentally healthy. I mean, right? it's either it's either him or Honey Badger. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, I also appreciate just kind of the body positivity angle of this book. Like, we get a couple yeah, different yeah. flavors of that here. We do. Um, like very much selfhood and how how you view yourself and how society views you are themes in this book going you know going forward for the last since since Vita Ayala took over. Yeah. Um and I think it really like really helps make this book stand out the degree to which it's about that. So good. Then we find out that the rabbit that has been with them, this manifestation that's kind of been guiding them, Shant reveals that it, it's her bro it's a manifestation of her from her brother. Yeah. Who is inside of her. And she thinks she has a solution to allow him to come back and be a separate person again. Yeah. Which is, it makes sense, but I never would have gotten there. Like, yeah. I would not have connected those dots. He possessed her and wound up, like, merged into her. So if you uh -huh. want to bring him back, how do you revive a dead mutant? Kill him. <laughs> Welcome to the Crucible. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I guess two for one stakes on... two. Yeah, two for one. Yeah, there you go. We have one other X-Men book this week. Something a little different. A little different? The Hellfire Gala <laughs> Official Guide, which... Uh, Welcome to a new... Probably not recurring often segment on panelology. Alex and Brian talk fashion. <laughs> and there's a reason why it's not often. <laughs> uh, the, the bulk of this guide is the X-Men's looks for the gala. Yes. Um, and it, it, also, it also does a really nice thing in the beginning. Tells us the 12 titles and, and issues that make up the gala event. Yes. Yeah, so... Uh, you can uh, you can look that up online. I'm not going to go through yeah. those, but yeah. Well, but essentially, it's it's over the next month. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, there's also like an interview with Emma Frost, uh, by Ben Eric in here. Um, but what I want to talk about are the designs because I think there are some really cool designs here from a variety of, of creators. Yeah. We get three looks for Emma Frost. Uh, I think we both agreed. There's one where she is in her diamond form form in this like long beaded gown mm -hmm. that is like these are all cool but that one is incredible that one is incredible yeah uh we have some additional design and that's by russell dodderman mm -hmm. we have some additional designs uh i believe also by dodderman for uh nine more maybe more x-men characters uh they're not all necessarily always on x-men teams but Rogue, yeah. Angel, Rachel, Captain Britain, Storm, Kate, Penance, Marvel Girl, and Cyclops. Yeah. Um, I think we both agreed that Kate's look is fantastic. Kate's look is fantastic. Storm's is uh, maybe one of the best in the entire line. It's it is it is incredibly that character mm -hmm. and also very cool. Yeah, but, like, yeah. She has basically a, a demi cape. That is a thundercloud. Yeah. With lightning in it. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's beautiful. I love Jean's design. Yep. I do too. I don't I think do. it's like super over the top, but it fits Jean really well. Yep. Uh, we have Angel 
uh, sporting a design which is uh, a running theme throughout all of the, uh, not all of, but a lot of the male designs. And that is the Namor shirtless look yes. with some sort of shoulder shoulder covering cape type thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the Abslantis la- look. The Abslantis look, yes. Yeah. Which apparently is in high fashion this year. <laughs> we have some designs by Alberto Foce for X-Corp number two. I said this as we were sort of getting our notes together. Madrix and... <laughs> I love this look. This is not me making fun. But no, it's Maverick's not, but you are so right. 100% looks like he's getting ready to uh, cause a crisis in the DC multiverse. <laughs> he does. He 100% does. Crisis on multiple Earths, if you will. Yes. Uh, Mastermind looks kind of like a throwback to his old original design yeah. self. Uh, Sunspot looks very much like a Roman god kind of look. Like Roman god like meets... Mortal Kombat. Yeah, there you go. That's a great description. Yes. Um, a lot of these designs use asymmetry in, in really fun ways. His is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the X-Men 21 designs by Lucas Warnick. Uh, yeah. We have we have Sync with his amazing Technicolor raincoat. Yes. Rain, uh, yeah. <laughs> Here yes, for that. Coat. Uh, yes. Really like the design work on the top on Wolverine's costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this Wolverine is, uh, Laura. is Laura Candy yeah. Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, and I think both Cannonball and Sunfire have some some sort of RPG villain vibes going. Uh, to use your your term from earlier. Yeah, they 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 have, they have some anime. Um, yeah. Uh, vibe to them, yes, definitely. Um, yeah, Sunfire looks like he could be straight out of like Genshin Impact or something. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Cannonball would be right at home in Valkyria Chronicles. There you go. Sure, sure. Colossus, also designed by Lucas Warnock, has one hundred percent rated Mister Sinister's closet, and <laughs> it is a perfect look for him. It it is it is an incredibly Russian. look. I especially yes. love the the smaller image here that has the fuzzy hat to go with. Yes, it. indeed. Uh, it is it is quite amazing. David Baldeon has designed our X Factor characters. I love that iBoy. iBoy also iBoy looks like he could live in a Final Fantasy game. Uh, I can see that. Sure, he has also opted for shirtless and mostly mostly pantsless. He has um what I can only call is like a toga loincloth. Yeah. <laughs> right. With a with a cape so that coming to, out of it. To expose as many eyes on his body as he can without being inappropriate. Yes. Yes. Uh, which sure, why not? Go for it. Um Aurora has a very interesting look, which is the top looks like a very traditional dress, mm-hmm. right? Like gown top top. But like right at the waist, it goes into these wavy things that, honest to God, look like she has like like her long hair. Well, it's like somewhere between long hair and imagine instead of a and deep like wind. blue, yeah, the 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 dress were green. It would look like an aurora borealis. Yes, it's like yeah, very subtly an aurora. I like it very much. Yeah, Prodigy's look I think is very because. We're 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 kind of basing this on a on a Met Gala kind of thing. That's the sort of over the top costuming we're going for. Is very Billy Porter at the Met Gala. 
Yeah, I could I could easily yeah. see that. Yeah. Um not leaning into any kind of of explicitly male costuming. It's very much sort of like flowy, dress like with these big wings. Like I've got to imagine got to imagine that that Billy Porter was an influence here. Um Matteo Lolly does the Marauders designs. Uh we get Sebastian Shaw and what can only be an Eastern European dictator look. <laughs> yep. Um Iceman actually also kind of leaning into that Very that much, yeah. more fluid uh uh look for costume. Uh yep. basically a corset, no pants, and a train flowing off the corset, kind of iceberg wings. All made of ice, yep. yeah. Uh except for the glasses. The the wraparound shades are definitely a pair of shades. Banshee looks almost just like himself, but his cape's longer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I would note again, though, that other than Shaw, no one on this page is wearing a shirt. Banshee's nope. Banshee's coat is buttoned, uh, but Pyro's but coat no and Bishop's it. vest yeah. unbuttoned, no shirt. Steven Segovia does our Hellions design. We both agreed, uh, talking ahead of time, Havocs is very cool. Havocs might be my favorite. Outfit. Havocs looks uh, kind of like a Doctor Who title screen came to life in the best possible way. Yeah. I also really like Psylocke's design. Especially, and here's, you know what I think I probably like most about Havoc? Yeah. Is, like, he originally had one of the worst costume designs of all time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was so bad. <laughs> this is so much better. It's great. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Mystique. Yes. Mystique is in a very appropriate i think for her costume it's it's oh yes oh yes strongly influenced by the traditional white dress but feathery and uh very, very um asymmetrical. Uh, more very morrigan looking right? yes like kind of yeah that's also okay. that's also segovia's design then we, we have bob quinn we get to yeah. bob quinn with our way of x designs dazzler we were both uh dazzled by for want of any <laughs> less hacky word choice. Um, it is a much, much better 70s retro look. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like ABBA, if ABBA were surrounded by Dazzler effects. Sure. Uh, uh, we get Loa in a very, very, very cool designed uh, dress. Yeah. I'm not super familiar with Mercury, but I dig the look for Mercury. This kind of like... I do too. Uh, you know, the sort of rainbow soap bubble thing on top of silver. Mm-hmm. I love uh, Nightcrawler. Night- Nightcrawler is just, yes, he is, it, it, I mean, he's straight out of the Three Musketeers, right? right? But, you know, Nightcrawler version of yeah. that, yes. If I were Nightcrawler, this would be my new day-to-day wardrobe. <laughs> uh, we get Pixie in a beautiful black dress that mm-hmm. that highlights her, her wings and her her pink purple aesthetic hair and wings yeah our new mutants designs are by alex lens and uh warlock is still just very warlock with a bow tie but let me tell (laughs) you i love that that's perfect like what would warlock do and and a split part hair right down the middle (laughs) part his hair funny and produce a bow tie because bow ties are cool bow ties are cool uh i love mirage's look here Yes, Mirage. I I, do, I like this. I like the the blending down to that gray. Yeah, I, I think that's really well. Cool. And the yeah. the tiara piece with the sort and of the rough cut gemstones. 
Magix is very cool and I think very character appropriate. It's very, very magic. It's like yes. she's wrapped in flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and has these floating decorative horns. She's got Hellboy her. horns. Yes. She got, yeah, there you go. Yep. Uh, sword, designed by Valerio Skitty. I think maybe this is, just as a set, my favorite, like, complete set of characters. They all they all share some thematic elements for the most part. Uh but look character appropriate. I love Wizkid and the kind of like astronaut helmet retro space print. Yep. Uh I, Magneto Magneto is in what I could only describe as futuristic uh, uh capitalistic entrepreneur. Yep. Yes. Uh Frenzies is very good. I love the sort of just mm-hmm wrapped bands of fabric um the lines in that dress i think are very like to be just wrapped pieces of fabric the lines i think flow really well you get that sort of x belt buckle but then the x motif extends out in those lines and she is the first one that that her nails are very noticeable for yeah yeah uh cora of the burning heart you have the like (laughs) almost like an open flower exposed yep. burning heart and otherwise just a very sort of futuristic skirt like ultraviolet or fifth element kind yeah. of look type thing yeah like all of these kind of feel like they're inspired by different pulp design aesthetics right uh, uh yeah i'll go with that um but with enough like common elements to feel connected then we have manifold uh on the next page yeah. also valerio skitty this might be my single favorite design. This is really cool. Yeah. Like I love this idea of sort of those those Einstein space warp gravity maps mm-hmm. as piecing around his, his shoulders. And and somehow is able to go with a headband. And I don't know how that works, <laughs> but it does. Um I think I mean I I definitely think that works, yeah. Uh but then sort of the repeated circles that you have over the collar is sort of pauldrons you have around yeah. the wrists, but then you have almost like an infinity symbol wrapping around him, except they don't connect. They just touch yep. uh, like, like holes in reality. Like he's reaching through space. Yeah. Hey, um, we have designs for just some assorted characters. I guess these are actually Excalibur characters. Gambit are, yeah. and Jubilee. I love the color palette on Jubilee's dress. I do like that color palette. I will give you that. Um, yeah. Not so much with Monarch. I don't know what... <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's up with Monarch. Monarch is not colored at all. Um, maybe Monarch is just appearing in line art, uh, which actually feels very shaming. Sure. Um, I love Richter's design. I like Richter's design very much, yes. Yeah. Like I like the, the dark cape with the the floral, viney design work on its upper part over the bright green with like stress fractures but, in gray. Or or or, or like or branches. Like, yeah. 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 I like it very much. Then we get uh the, the uh X Force group. Uh Wolverine, uh Logan yeah. and Domino and Sage. And they are all very, very much in um, spy sheet. much more traditional looking formal wear. Yeah, like Dominique's looks straight out of Black Widow. Right? Yeah, yeah, with a thigh garter pouch. Yes, belt. Yes, with a with a cargo thigh belt. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> uh, I would point out Wolverine's bolo tie. 
Yes. Indeed. Uh, Beast in a tuxedo with shorts. Also a bolo tie. Also a bolo tie. Actually, all of all them. The males, have, all yeah. the guys. Uh, yeah. Kid Omega's got yeah. one. He's got the, the arm Actually, garter. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Sage and Domino. They all have bolo they ties. They do. <laughs> yes, they do. Everybody gets a bolo uh, tie. Everybody gets a bolo tie. Uh, then there's the Professor X design, which, <laughs> can you say RPG Final Boss? Yeah, you can. Yeah, Meets Daft Punk? 100%. It is, it is X-Men, Charles Xavier, and, and Daft Punk, yes. <laughs> like, maybe he's DJing the event. I, don't know. I adore this, for real. I adore this design. So, oh, I love that, and I want it now. Can you imagine Xavier up front at at Dex, like like actually DJ? Well, and his mix event? is always going to be great because he's going to be using Cerebro to know exactly what the crowd wants. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Oh, oh, that's so wonderful. The beat drops and he pulls you all into the astral plane. Ah, <laughs> uh, I want it now. Yeah. Uh, this this was fun. This is this is this is really. I, I think they had a lot of fun with yeah. it too. Uh, okay, that's uh, not going to be a, a recurring lot. segment. <laughs> no, it will not. But but that's okay. It was yeah. fun. Is it still good? Destiny New York number two. Uh, it's a couple of blasts from the past as an X and others show up in the book for the first time. Abbott, 1973, number four. Elena and her brother and her brother's friend go on their rescue mission, and that does not go according to plan. At all. Even a little bit. Once in future, number 18. The king is dead. Long live the king. Batman Superman, number 17. Uh, I'm suddenly realizing the fallacy of trying to explain what happens in this book in a sentence. Batman and Superman and Lois realize they're all on the same side, even though Super... Even though Lois is a dead ringer for the villain Batman has been chasing... Because she may actually be that world's lowest lane. And also, uh, an interdimensional auteur is torturing Earth-Zero Earth Superman and Batman, who are getting in the way of his mixing and matching realities. Batman, black and white, number five. Uh, as has been the, the go-to lately, I'm just going to point out a couple of favorites here. The Riddle, written by Kieran Gillen, with art by Jamie McKelvey and letters by Clayton Cowles, is a choose-your-own-adventure, as the Riddler might write it. Um, I chose multiple paths here, trying to get to the solution over and over, because I had a theory uh, that did prove true. It's definitely worth, like, trying to figure out how to solve this. Uh, then, The Man Who Flies, which is written and drawn by Jamal Campbell, with letters by Darren Bennett. I love Jamal Campbell's art. He's been on uh, uh, Far Sector lately, which is beautifully colored, but seeing him just in black and white here is gorgeous. He he could easily always work in black and white, and it would work beautifully. This is also a Nightwing story uh, about Dick and his relationship to being Batman and letting people down and trying to do better. It's fantastic. 
Uh, all of these, though, really solid. Uh, as always, Batman Black and White is a great book for just short stories and great art. Yep. Detective Comics, number 1035. We get the second chapter of The Neighborhood, in which uh, Bruce finds the missing socialite neighbor, and uh, she is already dead. So her wealthy wealthy father who is very definitely who very definitely feels like a dark foil to the Wayne family starts escalating things there's a lot of political intrigue and new mysteries to solve in terms of like what's going on and who's pulling the strings it's a really great detective style story hey how about yeah. that the backup here is our our infinite frontier introduction to huntress who uh, this is framed around Huntress just not being great at making friends and realizing that she kind of accidentally did maybe make one, but did not attend that friendship well, and now something has happened to her. Which Huntress is this? Uh, I would say that this is Bertelli. Okay. Yeah. Harley Quinn number two, Brian. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, we find out more about Harley's new intern, Kevin. <laughs> and um, then life gets strange in Gotham. Yeah. I want to say there's a really cool uh, thing that happens in the art here where, like, Kevin sort of gets into his head. And yeah. uh, the, the art and colors take him into kind of backlight. And you get this really sinister version of the silhouette of his tattoo yeah. as this, this dark grinning face. It's monstrous and cool, and I love it. The next Batman, Chapter 9. We get the the fallout of last issue's revelations about what it is that Jace did in the past, and kind of how monstrously Lucius handled it. Bitterroot number 12. Uh, after the sort of reintroduction and new status quo uh, uh, that we explored in, in number 11, this issue massively shakes up the status dynamic or the 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 status quo in the San, uh, Sanger family uh in more ways than one. The Department of Truth number 8 asks the question how do you reset these major world changes created by people believing conspiracy theories and answers it with magic come see how. Uh, I cannot wait to come see how. Beta Ray Bill, number two. Beta Ray Bill doesn't mean to build a team. He would rather not have a team. But he gets a team. And then goes to, well, hell is a different thing, but uh, Musfahel feels like what we normally mean when we say hell. So that kind of hell. Gonna get dark before it gets better. Mm. Uh, also gorgeous. Black Widow, number six. Uh, Black Widow meets a, uh, young pickpocket who tries to steal her wallet. Bad decision. And decides... Which, which she points out to her. That's your flaw. You need to pick better, uh... Yes, actually. Better targets. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, I read this while we were oh, okay. going through. So, yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Brian, we could have talked about it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, maybe, maybe it's going to develop a new habit of picking up orphans. I was going to say, uh, my my one line would have been, uh, Natasha and Yelena 
uh, are maybe making a not red room. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic Four, number 31. Maybe if you and your best friend are having uh, friendship issues and there are things that you're not ready to say yet, going to a dimension that makes your thoughts manifest around you is not a good way to work through things, Reed. Silk number two, Brian. Um, Bad sauna, bad therapist, and bad kitty. US agent number five. I guess John Walker is not the only fucked up person in his family. Shadow service number seven. We learn how Gina uh, originally met Edwin and see where her relationship with him stands in the present. Witch blood number two. Brian. Uh, wow, let's see. Um, we get what may be one of the most interesting takes uh, of a musical covered montage uh, <laughs> <laughs> of an attack. You know, you know how you know how they do the attacks where it's just the musical overlay. Yeah. You don't hear anything. I I didn't know you could do that in a comic book, but apparently you can. I I love that scene so much. It's one of my favorite things from these first two issues. Yes. Uh, and maybe justifies the existence of Alan Jackson's Chattahoochee. <laughs> maybe. Fair enough. Fair enough. Certainly the strongest case for it. This week's books. First up is Eve number one. This is written by Victor Laval. Art is by Jomi Young. Colors are by Brittany Peer. And letters are by End World Design. This is a mini series about sort of a young girl traveling through a post apocalyptic, apocalyptic world. Uh, I don't know, honestly, a whole lot more than that about it. Victor Laval is a writer who I really like. Uh, he's done some other comic book work, some prose work, and has an unannounced, but it's announced that he's going to be on something, X-Men book coming up in the future. So, uh, very excited to read more of his creator-owned work. Brian! Yes. Heroes Reborn, number one. Oh my gosh! So this is the the new, um, I, you know what? I'm going to start calling these quick events, <laughs> where they are absolutely events, but they're all come, but it's coming out weekly. So like it just it just gets through them. The ideal right? event schedule. Exactly. Let me let yes. me talk about how much I love the structure for this. We get an issue every week for seven weeks. Uh -huh. We get a one shot at the end of that that ties everything up, and then uh -huh. in each of those. Each of the middle six weeks, we get one, maybe two, one-shot tie-in. Yep. That's and it. That's it. There are no the whole thing. other ongoings that you have to read that tie-in. In fact, a lot of them are taking a break during this. Yeah. It's just quick, clean, wham, bam, done. Yeah. And the, the, if, if you're not already aware, this the, the thought behind the story behind this event is what happens if Tony Stark had never built the Iron Man armor and the Avengers had never been formed. Yeah. I think they and... said Thor is a hard drinking atheist. Uh Cap is still frozen in the ice. Like it it is it is the ultimate what if. Yeah. Well, especially right. in that like you have the Squadron Supreme instead of the Avengers, which basically Correct. means you have the Justice League instead of the Avengers. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And oh my god, have you seen the art germ variant cover? Uh-huh. I did a double take when I saw it first because I was like, Superwoman? What? 
Oh, gorgeous. God, I can't wait. To yeah. <laughs> there are two art germ variants next week, in fact. There's one yeah, for yes. Batman with Miracle Molly. I know. I've got that coming, too. Speaking of <laughs> good character design work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wind Returns. We get the beginning of the second arc, written by James Tynan IV, art and colors by Michael Dialinus, and letters by Andworld Design. Uh, we read the first arc of this and loved it. I believe the hardcover for Volume 1 is also out, if not already, then very soon. Definitely, definitely recommend. Yeah. Uh, fun, fantasy, brightly color, bright colors. Uh, yeah. And then finally, Brian has brought an omnibus to the table. All New Wolverine by Tom Taylor. Yeah, Tom Taylor's run on All New Wolverine. Uh, this is an omnibus that collects the whole thing. Uh, and that, that run was so good. Alex and I both loved it. Like, uh, highly, highly recommend. Truly uh, one of you... my favorite, like, single ongoings of the last decade. Yeah, if you didn't get the, if you didn't pick it up in singles, if you didn't gr grab trades to already read this and you are interested, this is, uh, I mean, it's obviously it's chunky at like, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever, yeah. but, but it's the whole thing. It's everything. Yeah. So good way. And that will do it for us. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Cool. We would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Panelology is a member of the Certain POV Network. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to certainpov.com. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com, support us at patreon.com slash panelology, get merch at bit.ly slash panelologymerch, capital P, capital M, or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelologymailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. Go read comics. CPOV. Certain POV dot com.